Hi, this is Lady C. Hey, this is JT. And in the upcoming video, we're going to be talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and conventions. You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, both of us, we've attended a lot of conventions since the time we were kids. Lady C, tell me about what do you remember about going to the conventions? both as a young person, child, right into your adulthood? Well, I remember, what I do remember about the assemblies, there's just so much that happened. I remember, first of all, assemblies going from, like, early in the morning to 9 o'clock at night. I remember those assemblies, conventions, actually. I remember them serving food. Our meals were um, served at the conventions. I remember having to stay overnight, stay overnight at different conventions. I remember whenever they had a new publication that was being released and how a lot of people would leave their seat before the song and prayer to go stand in line so they could be one of the first persons to get the release. But one of the things that I do remember my last year in high school, and I was so frustrated because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I knew I did not want to pioneer at the time because at that point in time, that just wasn't something that was near and dear to my heart. And I was so frustrated because no one was giving me any direction. Nobody was saying, you know, you should do this. Maybe you might want to do that. But, and I knew when I got to the assembly what they were going to be saying. They were going to be like, I know this is your last year of high school. Have you got your application yet to pioneer? And when I got to that convention during my last year of high school, that, that summer, that was the talk. And I remember sitting at my seat saying, I don't want to pioneer, you know? I was like, give me something else. Because everybody can't do that. You can't take care of yourself pioneering. And so then my decision was not to go to college, but my decision in my family was to send me to a business school for six months to give me some kind of training so that I could get a job. But that's what I settled for. But I knew when I got to that, when I, when I, I knew that when I got to that convention, it was going to be all about giving me more Watchtower stuff to do. And I knew I didn't want to do that. Yeah, yeah it's pretty much the standard. Um, I guess for myself, what I remember about the convention uh, as a kid, going to my teenage years and into my adult, uh, adult life, was that the talks were always boring. Oh my God, the talks were just boring. And I couldn't figure out, because I used to ask. I used to stay in trouble because I asked too many questions. I used to ask because we knew brothers who were basically, you know, dynamic speakers. But they never won the convention. They never, ever put a lot of these brothers in the convention. They would bring these sad brothers out there every time. Jesus Christ. And, and, you, and, and you see the friends just dozing off, just, just, especially after lunch. They just pass out, pass out. Well... It wasn't until I became an adult, went to Bethel, left, became an elder, and became involved in regional committee, regional assemblies and conventions and circuit assemblies functions. I became part of those organizational structures. Did I finally understand why you have the speakers that you have out there? 
And unfortunately, it has very little to do with the brother's ability to teach. Uh, has very little to do with the brother's ability to hold the attention of the audience. You would think that the society would want their best speakers who could hold the attention of an audience of 10, 12, 15,000 people. No, 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 no. Basically, district assembly time is, is payback time. It's time to reward the brothers who are good society men, good branch men, follow instructions well. Has nothing to do with that. Has a lot to do with who you are friends with who you're connected with. Um, this is a business, I've always said that, and Lady C and myself, we got a chance to see it from the inside out. Um, there was one uh, assignment I had that just, it was just, I, I, I it was unreal. Um, I, I just never, because I had been brought up as a witness kid a certain way, like most of us have. But I saw literally on the other side of the curtain. And it ain't nothing, as they say, it ain't nothing like it is on the side that most witnesses are on. Um, what happened was, uh, in this, on the circuit level, I was the circuit assembly account servant. And what happens is, uh, you know, we circuit A, circuit B, whatever. So during the summer, what ends up happening is uh, the circuit assembly and the district assembly, they invite you to be a part of the uh, the district or the regional accounting office. And so what happened for me after doing that, I was then invited to be a part of the chairman's office. And that's where the, the movers and the shakers are in. They're in the chairman's office. Uh, members of the governing body, they're there. The circuit district overseers at the time, they're there. Local city overseers, they're there. Uh, missionaries, whoever is someone is there. And... I got invited because I was friends with the circuit overseer. And he asked me, he says to me, he says, I got a letter and the letter invited me to be a part of the chairman's office. And my assignment was to be a reader. I'm like, a reader? What does a reader do? You know? And so I'm saying, like, what does a reader do? And so um, we were told that we could bring our wife uh, to the chairman's office in this particular instance. And... At the moment we got there, we, we realized that this was a different world. Uh, what happens is for, you know, and, 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 and I was one of those, so I know. My wife knows. Uh, the average Jehovah's Witness is sitting out in the sun, especially if it's outdoors. You're sitting out in the sun, sun beating down on you. Uh, you get the little umbrella in some cases. Sometimes the brothers don't want you to use the umbrellas and put tents over you. And so you sit out there sweating. I mean, you sweating. You, you, you suited and booted, but you sweating. Well, the chairman's office uh, is typically up in the booths, up in the uh, up in the box seats, where people who have serious contracts with the stadiums, organizations, companies, they have their offices up there, you know, doing doing uh, sporting events. Well, the society puts the chairman's office up there, and so that's where we were at. So the brother's giving us the number of where the chairman's office is going to be at. We go there, and when we get there, there are two brothers standing outside. Their security. So we let the brother know, you know, I'm working in the, I'm working in the chairman's office today and, uh, you know, so on and so on. So, so the brother said, hold on. So they open the door. Oh, we got Brother JT out here. You know? and, so, <laughs> and so they invite us in. And so when my wife and I, we walked in, uh, there's all the circular seers wives, chairman's wives, governing body wives. And we were, the, we were literally the youngest couple up in the chairman's office. And I'm going to tell you, I just felt literally out of place. And Lady C, she'll, she'll share with you her personal uh, 
experience in being in the chairman's office as well. But I just fill out the place. So my assignment was to be a reader. And what that is, uh, the brothers have a group of us and what we do. And I, I didn't know this. All the years I've been on Joe, I did not know this. When you see the brothers down out there on the field with their either their outline or their manuscript, there is a brother up in the booth, up in the chairman's office. He has an identical copy of either the outline or, in my case, a manuscript. And your job is to take a number two pencil and you follow this brother word for word. And if he misses a word, you circle it. If he adds the words, you add it into the notes on the side. At the end of the brother's talk down the field, he will then walk off the stage and get in the elevator or the steps and come all the way up to the chairman's office. You will give your uh, review of what he was doing with his talk to typically someone who's been assigned. And they're going to talk to this brother. And that is the way it is done. Uh, and the reason why, because they don't want anyone going off script. Every speaker, someone is following them. Um, I had an experience, uh, brother when I was in Bethel, he was my mentor. It was R.P. Johnson, the short brother. He was a size troubleshooter. They used to call him little man, where carries a big stick. And he did, because he used to go out for the society and he would delete elders around the spot, reappoint elders around the spot. This was long before they allowed the circular to do this. So uh, R.P. is a troubleshooter. And so R.P. was telling me a story that happened to him once is that there there had been a change in the outline and they got the wrong copies mixed up. Uh, he had the newest copy who was when he was down the field. The guy who was the reader had the wrong copy. And so they were up in the chairman's office watching him go off, literally off script. And they was, they, they was getting ready to call the brothers down the sound booth, kill the mic, kill the mic, kill the mic. And someone realized this is the new, this is the new outline. This is the new outline. Let it go. Let it go. And so R.P. says when he got back, finished his talk, came upstairs, and walked to the room, he said they were laughing at you. They said, man, we almost cut you off, man. We almost cut you off. So, <laughs> so you, you see this other side. And so this was something that I did. I, I was a reader. I followed whoever the speaker was. If he was going off route, you know, they would end up killing the mic. Uh, so, I mean, this is part of the chairman's office. Uh, I think Lady C has aspect from, from the lady's side of what it's like to be in the chairman's office in comparison to other sisters who are not. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you right now, because we were so young, Yeah, I didn't feel, I, I knew people, like I remember the district overseer and his wife, and, um, well, I don't want to mention people's names, but this, this particular district overseer was my district overseer in Michigan, and he, dynamic speaker, and he and his wife were, in that they were there in the in the chairman's booth and stuff, and then just past the just usual you know high, and whatever high and by, I didn't feel comfortable being in the chairman's office because I felt like this was um, a group of people that was in a different league. Oh, they were okay, <laughs> so I didn't feel comfortable being there. Yeah, and I don't know if I told you this or not, <laughs> but I was literally scared to leave. The chairman's office in that little area, that, that, that it was a nice little size area that we were in because I was afraid they weren't going to let me back in. <laughs> I was like, this has got to be a mistake. We're not supposed to be in no. here and nobody else knows it. And if I leave out of here, I'm not going to be able to get back in. So I didn't really feel comfortable leaving. So I remember they had, we had our own bathroom facilities too. 
And because of where we were, where we were stationed at, because we were in Richmond, Virginia at the one that we were at. But it was so funny because it was like, um, they even bought our food. Because this was during a time it's when so they were still serving food and everything there. But when you look back on it, th these are supposed to be my brothers and sisters, right? So why didn't I feel comfortable? You know, I felt just so, and, and then there was this, I'm, I'm going to tell you what. One year we were there, the one circuit overseer, and one of the elders in our congregation, and we were standing, we were not in the chairman's office at the time, we were someplace else where, the, where only the, the brothers could go, the brothers and sisters could go, the people who were running the, it was the convention. It was, it was a chairman. That particular, well that day was a different chairman's office. Actually, actually wasn't a chairman, we, we was actually, at that time, we was actually in news service. We, we, okay, yeah. We, we went up to news service. Okay, well anyway, we were there, and they were telling dumb, blonde jokes. And I was standing there like, what? You know, because the brother, I don't, like I said, I don't want to mention names, but the brother who was, who was in our sister congregation, his wife was a blonde. And so the circuit overseer and his wife, the, uh, the circuit overseer was saying dumb, blonde jokes to the brother's wife in our congregation. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I felt so uncomfortable being around them. It was crazy. Yeah. But it was like, for me, I, I could care less if I would have been sitting in a chairman's office at all. I could care less of that. But that one year we were in the chairman's office, there was a single circuit overseer that was um, there. And he was trying to get into the chairman's office because all the single sisters was chasing him around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, I got to get in here. I got to get out. But it was yeah. so funny because we, we thought he was silly. See, we, we thought he was silly. He was silly, and, but he was single. But, he, but was see, the thing was is, single. nope, he, he told us why. He was a man. He was a man. <laughs> <laughs> nuh He told us why he was acting silly because he was trying to get them off of off oh. of his back. Oh, okay. Because we oh, yeah, he's the shorty, yeah. he, he came to our congregation to give a talk. Oh. Sure, I'm, I'm kind of you know going off script here with this convention thing, but this circuit overseer, he came to our congregation, gave a talk, and when he came back out to his car, there was a bunch of uh, sisters that had left their phone number on the on the uh, windshield. It was messed up. It was messed up. It was messed up. <laughs> on the windshield of his uh. car, but um, one of our YouTube subscribers had contacted us, and I was talking to her on the phone, and she knew who he was, and she said he finally got married. So. I guess he's not running from those sisters anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one the sister told, can I butter your bread? Like, oh, Lord. <laughs> Excuse me. Can right. I butter your bread? That's all right. <laughs> but yeah, and, and so one of, the, one of the most interesting about working in the chairman's office, how, you know, as a witness kid, you, you get, I just get popped upside the head. Pay attention. Wake up. You know, that kind of stuff, right? And so... You always was told you have to be focused on the assembly. You know, don't go to the bathroom and don't be walking the halls, all this kind of stuff, right? Up there in the chairman's office, and this is what we and this and this wasn't just like a fluke. This was every time we worked there, we we would see, we would I would listen. Actually, you know, we and we would look at each other like I don't know. I would listen to the conversations that the that the women were having, or the circumstances, and then the D.O. and then guys who came down from Bethel or some missionary. Their conversation had nothing to do with what was going on in the field. Nothing. In fact, they will be back there. They would oftentimes be back there discussing, yes, you know, I had the chance to go on a cruise with uh, I had one couple of brothers. They 
provided me and my wife uh, the opportunity to go on the cruise down in the Caribbean. Uh, and I remember this one brother, he said, yeah, so I went, uh, we went, we went out and uh, we came back into the room and I looked on the bed and they had folded the bed back and they had pieces of chocolate, you know. <laughs> you know, my wife, she had left her, her slip out. She left her little slip out and we came back in the room and they had made it into a, like a little flowers. And I tell you, <laughs> and this is the kind of, and this is how they was carrying on. I'm like, no, Jehovah, Jesus, Moses, organization. They was just, it was just laid back. Uh, like you said about the food, we didn't stand no lines. We at, at lunchtime. In fact, in some of the in some of the uh, facilities, they had a refrigerator in there, so it was it was bottled water, everything. Soda, and throughout the entire program, what they would do is they would take an order. Everybody, everybody, what y'all want? What y'all want? What y'all want? Y'all want? And everybody, you know, make up the laws. Then we give it to one of the security guys outside and said, you know, bring a box of this back, and they would come back with hobies, sodas, anything you wanted. And we put it in the refrigerator and stacked the refrigerator. And we, you know, we filled the refrigerator. So throughout the entire convention, if you wanted the juice, if you wanted the Coke, and what's, it, what's the other Shasta? What's that? What's that? Lemon lime? What's that? Lemon lime? Lemon lime? Lemon lime? Yeah, lemon lime. <laughs> One of those cheese Danish. Cheese Danish. And, and, the, and the hoagies. And the hoagies. If that. you wanted that, you just went over there, got yours, and came back, sat down, and just sat there and watched out there. And you got the friends out there suffering and dying. And I'm like, oh, man, this is... This is how the other half lives, and so it's amazing it's because amazing. Um, when you when when you, when people are in leadership roles, oh, man. you know they never follow the prescription they never follow the rules. or the outlines of what everybody else does. Just look at corporate America. Yeah. You know you have an office that you work in, and the people that are in the leadership roles, like at where I work at, all of our leaders in our office, all the upper management, they get free parking because it comes with our lease. It's you know, it's a perk. And so they get free parking, they get all these different things that you would never get, and you don't know all that's going on, yeah. because they're the people that's yeah. running the office, running the show. The same is true with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Whoever runs the show, yeah. they get a chance to do what they want. I'm going to deviate on this too. One of the things I always knew, I'm going to out you, JT. One of the things I always remembered whenever we would go give a talk at other congregations, JT would march me up to the front of the Kingdom Hall, okay? And I told him, I said, because, so, you know, you, he's giving the talk, JT giving the talk, right? So he want to sit at the front of the Kingdom Hall. And for that whole hour, I'm going to be sitting up there by myself because he's on stage giving the talk. I'm already nervous. I don't want to be there and all that. I'm nervous. You got me sitting in the front so you know everybody's looking at you. That's how we always felt, right? So then after JT would give the talk, he would come off the platform and he would go to the back and he would be there for the whole Watchtower study, talking to one of the brothers that was an elder in that congregation. We were taking care of elder business, elder business. Yeah, right. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. So then I remember that one time we went to a congregation and JT started going to the front of the um, Kingdom Hall. I said, oh, no, we not. I said, we're not going to no front of no kingdom hall to sit while I'm sitting here for my, by myself for two hours and you're on stage giving the talk and then you go to the back and you're talking to the brothers there. And so I remember going to North Carolina one time and he's giving a talk in one of his, uh, not his, not his congregation, but in the congregation, you know, like 25 minutes away. My old pioneer partner congregation was yeah. in Bethlehem. So it was so funny because... You know, now this time I'm there with JT's mom and his brothers and all that. 
So I got, you know, I got, I got, like, I have like people that's right there with me, sitting with me. They got your back. They got your back. They got my back, right? So, um, I remember, same old, same old, same old. We're sitting there listening to JT's talk, da 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 da, and then JT gets off the stage, you know, and he goes to the back of the back of the Kingdom Hall, and we don't see him again. And so his mother nudged me, and she said, "Where is JT?" And I and I just looked at her and I said. I said, he's back there probably talking to one of the brothers. But see, people who are in this kind of a leadership, they don't have to follow the rules and they don't get in trouble. So if that was me back there talking to somebody in the lobby, they would have told me to get back to my seat. Sister. But these brothers, they don't have to do that. So you sisters out there, call your husbands on the, on the carpet if he's back there talking in the back room. Because you know what? Later on, I found out from JT. Tell him, JT, why you were back there. Tell him. It was telling elder business. <laughs> Tell the real reason. <laughs> it was like the gossip. I'm sorry, elder business. I mean, elder business. Elder business. Yeah, it is. It, 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 <laughs> so the meetings are boring. Everybody knows that. Even though, even though kids, to be honest, and the king, you know, the king has no clothes on. Kids will tell you the meetings are boring. But grown folks, you got to act like the meetings are not boring. That's just the way it is. Um, so this is an excuse that elders use when they want to get up. Elders get up, walk in the back. Going to the office, do busy work, you know. Um, or like in my case, when we would go visit a congregation, uh, you know, the brothers would call you in the back, you'd be talking, and y'all would just be telling stories. And because this particular congregation was the same congregation that my old pioneer partner was in, as he was at also at Bethel, but he had left and we went back to North Carolina and we visited the hall. He said, Yeah, hey, you give a talk, JT. I said, All right, hook me up, man, hook me up. So we're back there catching up, man. Yeah, man, you know, so-and-so, yeah, I heard he got married. Yeah, they're in the circuit break, man, you know. So, so you're back there just jawboning. And Meanwhile, then, I'm in my seat. Yeah, you can answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so those are the kind of things that you see. Um, and it gives you a perspective of how things work. And so once I started becoming more involved on, on, the, on the regional or the, or the district level, then you begin to see that the same thing applied to the circuit assembly, how individuals are selected to give talks. And typically, they're friends of either the circuit or at this time, the district overseer. It's just that simple. It's not, it's not, has, my mom says, no, Jehovah, JT, Jehovah picked the brother to give the talk, even though somebody might be a, and, and, they, and let's give you these crazy examples. You know, Moses was slow of tongue. He couldn't talk fast and Jehovah used him. That's why they got brother Johnson. He can't talk at all. And, 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 and you're like, well, he can't talk. He put me to sleep. So, uh, and that's the kind of crazy stuff that, 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 that I grew up as a kid being told. Jehovah selected these guys down there on the platform. And then you get in the back room and you're like, oh, Brother Johnson, you, you want to hook him up with talk? Yeah, hook him up with talk. Yeah, yeah I think he handled that. And, and, and some of it was really interesting. They would, they, I mean, we, to, hear some of the congregation, to hear some of the conversations is really amazing. For example, I remember, I remember asking my mentor, when, I said, now, when you were out in the traveling work and, you know, and everything, uh, did you run into an issue with selecting speakers? And he gave me a very interesting example of how it could work. He said, let's say, for example, you're going through this. What happened? The society sends either the circuit or at that time the disc over here a list of open slots. Now, there's some slots that the society is going to fill with a Bethel speaker. If a Bethelite is traveling to a certain convention and he is a Bethel elder, 
then he's going to get certain slots automatically because he, he's going to bring the greetings from Bethlehem. So he may not get the public talk or the, you know, the, the, the keynote address, but generally speaking, he will be on the program. He'll bring the greetings from Bethlehem. You know, Bethlehem brings greetings from bros out here in the hour, you know, that kind of stuff. And so what would happen is they have to fill in these slots. Because I've seen the form. You fill in the slots. The, the who's going to have the opening prayer, the first talk, second talk, who had the prayer for lunch. It, it's, it's all society's organized. This is how we know when this, all this information about the society. They, they know what's going on. So he would fill in the slot of who the brothers were. Well, he said, for example, you have a brother. Circuit over here. He's making up his list. Sitting at home, making up his list. He has one slot left. He has two brothers he's thinking about. Putting on the port, put him on this program. It's nothing really heavy. It's just a prayer. Nothing big. Just a prayer. One brother has taken him and his wife, <laughs> both, bought him two or three suits, bought his wife two or three dresses. The other brother is a regular pioneer, broke as dirt, but he's a regular pioneer. He's a spiritual man of God. Now he said, JT, he said now. Who do you think the average circle of is going to get at praying part two? It's going to be the guy that bought him the suits. It's going to be the guy that bought him the suits. Because it's not a heavy duty part. It's a simple part, brother. So I'd like to pray before uh, for lunch tomorrow. And, and so it's done. But you know what, though, JT? And, and as we're talking about what we remember about conventions, mm -hmm. it's like if there was a brother that, you know, that was all he did was give a prayer. Oh. It was almost like he tried to turn it into a uh, public talk. Uh, and so I remember, you know, being a kid and, you know, they don't went over. Because when <laughs> I remember back in the day when they had these conventions, they would just go over. I mean, you could be there. You haven't eaten since, like, what, lunchtime? And I remember my mom and dad going to take us out to uh, fast food. This is when fast food was really good and fast food was really Jack in the box. Jack in the box. Hey, look, kids really did, you know, get fast food and it was really a treat, right? So I, 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 it was McDonald's. We used to like McDonald's fish fillet. And as a little kid, I was like, oh, my God, we're getting ready to get out of here. And we're going to go get something to eat. My stomach is growling. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, I, I can't wait to get out of here. And the prayer turns into like 10, 15 minutes. Yes. And then based on what you're saying, it's like, okay, so I, I got it. He didn't get a part on the assembly. So now he's giving a 15-minute prayer. Yes. And as a little kid, you're like, are you going to, is he going to say, say amen? And I remember I, I interviewed this sister named Linda and in the video, um, in, in the, during our interview, she was talking about how they couldn't wait to get back to go to the hotel to go swimming. And she said, that's what she remembered about the, um, the prayers is that they were so long is that she said, she remembers sitting there saying, say, say, amen, hurry up. Come on, say, amen, say, amen. Because she wanted to get back to the hotel before the pool closed. And so we were dying laughing when I was interviewing her. And she was saying that about how she would say, say amen. Just say amen. Yeah. You know, because anybody who's listening to this video knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. In fact, that's why some, <laughs> that's why some uh, over the years, uh, some of the, uh, the guys who set up the schedule... They actually just make a decision. We're going to have the brother who gave the talk also close because he's been talking for 30, 40 minutes. So he's already tired. So he's not going to drag it on. And like Lady C mentioned, if this is this guy's only part, he's going to make it into a public talk. And so it, it, it's, it's very unfortunate. I, I think back to like you mentioned about the women. I know at most conventions in the summertime, they would put paper over the, the mirror in oh the my sister's God, remember bathroom. That? <laughs> yeah. 
And you will always get that one sister like, that's all right. I'm going to tear this little piece right here so I can see myself. And they will always tear a little piece. And, it, and as, as, as it went on, it just kept tearing more and more. And after a while, you had full-length mirrors. But Remember that? That was so crazy. <laughs> you would go in there, and um, they didn't want the sisters in there styling and profiling. And so they would, they would put the, the paper over the mirror so that you couldn't look at yourself in the mirror. I know, right? As if to say, like... You know, what if I got something in my nose? What if I'm trying to take know, care of right? something personal? And now you've taken that right or you, you've made an assumption that doesn't even exist because you're looking at me and thinking just something natural. I can't even imagine going to a convention for my job, going into the bathroom, and the mirrors are covered. <laughs> I mean, that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You know? But interestingly, up in the chairman's office, there was no paper covering the mirror. Um, but I mean, it, it, it's, it's really interesting. And so over the years, the way the organization, uh, when they moved away from the food arrangement uh, because of the tax issue, um, I remember they, the friends would, during intermission, the friends would go out into the community or in the area to try and get something to eat. And of course, if you release you know, four or 5,000 people into a, uh, a mall or whatever, you know, it's going it's to back up the lunch and everything. And so eventually they started telling the witnesses, you know, bring your own food, you know, bring your cooler so we can get the meeting started on time. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's this constant, we're going to treat you like a child because we look at you as a child. And uh, that's kind of where you have, what you have. But remember, JT, when, okay, so after they stopped selling the food mm -hmm. at the conventions, mm -hmm. and I remember Pioneers, they used oh, to get yeah. their tickets oh, free. Yeah. I remember I get mine free, yeah. you know. And... um but I remember how when they stopped serving the food and people didn't have to buy those food tickets and then they would go get them, people, and they were doing a complete donation arrangement. Oh, yeah. Oh. We would see people, because remember they had the fruit, they had the fruit uh, bags. Fruit bags, fruit basket, a little bag. They, oh, had, the, they had the Danish, they had the, the cola and the, and the, um, the um, what's the other one called? The, um. Lemon lime lemon soda. Lime, lemon lime. Lemon lime. And they had the hoagies and all the, the chips. Egg everything. muffin. Egg muffin. No, oh, muffin, yeah, egg. muffin egg. Muffin egg. Muffin egg. Muffin egg. My bad. Muffin egg, Sorry, right? McDonald's. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, remember the family that we saw? Lots of family. They were like toting just bags. You thought they went, you thought they went to Safeway or a food line or something. They came back with bags. Of, yes. And they put about they, $2 in the back. In, in the country. <laughs> It might not have put that in there, but yeah, it, it, was, it, it became a such a problem. They had to stop. They, they, and they and to then stop. just kind of like deviating from that part. Remember when we had to pay for the literature? Mm -hmm. And I remember that when they went to the complete donation arrangement with that with that literature, how people were at the back of the Kingdom Hall ordering bound volumes that went back to the 60s. And this is like in the 90s. And they were ordering like 20 years 20 worth of years, bound volumes. And we went to Bethel. Because when you would go to Bethel, Bethel had a literature counter yeah. where you could just go there. But this is during a time when you could actually, you had to actually pay for your literature. So they had the guy, the, the, the brother back there, man in the counter. You go back there, you'd ask for whatever book you wanted, and then you would be able to get your literature. But when they took that to the complete donation arrangement, they had to shut that down because yeah. people were just going back there, just picking up stuff and taking off with it. And, you know, just literally just taking all kind of literature. So the society was like losing a lot of money 
at that time. No. You know? No, yeah. And what made it so ironic, these were all Christians, true Christians. But what you found <laughs> is witnesses, <laughs> witnesses, they cheap and, they, and they'll steal if they can. And so that's really what it was. And that was why the society basically stopped that. The witnesses were not contributing, quote unquote, in proportion to what they were taking. And because I was the, the, the account's overseer, we literally saw it reflected in the contributions when the society first went to the donation arrangement and they were still allowing uh, people to get food at the assemblies and allow them to get literature. Uh, the number of bound Bibles. I remember people would order like uh, what was called deluxe Bibles with the leather, the black Bible, the gold trim. They were all like, they get their Bible study. I mean, and of course, the contributions didn't reflect and so the society walked in and said we shutting that down this is a business we need y'all to pay for this stuff you ain't ordered nothing and today you have to get a lot of literature approved you have grown people who came and order literature they have to go ask the elders oh, brother johnson can you please let me get some, some you know and so they yeah. treat their members like children i mean they treat them like children but you know what that was a really bad time for pioneers because a lot of pioneers oh, yeah. you know they lived off of those uh placements of those yeah, magazines yeah. because they would give us 50% off. So when they stopped the donation arrangement, that also cut into the, the um, regular pioneers and stuff too because okay. they were making them feel guilty for keeping the donation. So like before you knew, I picked up my magazines, it cost me $20. When a regular pioneer picked up their magazines and the whole thing cost $20, they got a discount. And the discount was $10. So they didn't have to pay full price for their magazines. So basically, they got 50% discount on the Watchtower magazines and books. So imagine, if you had 10 books, $10, you only paid $5 for that. So that when you went to go place those books in the field and, and understand place, they called it place when it's really sold, okay? <laughs> They, they didn't want to say that we sold the books, but they say, Place. when you place these books, place these books. you know, they, it's, it's one of those trigger words. So, so they picked up the books. They got 10 books. They only paid $5 for it. So when they sold the books, they made a $5 profit. 50% so, discount. hey, all of you um, people who sell Mary Kay and multi-level marketing, and I remember when my mother-in-law was selling Mary Kay, <laughs> and let's say a tube of lipstick cost, you know, $10.00. Well, Mary Kay allowed her to have $5 of that. Well, that's the same way Watchtower was. So it's just like any business transaction. So when the Watchtower ended up getting rid of the, um, the selling arrangement, when it went to a complete donation arrangement, now I remember in our congregation, pioneers were really frustrated because they were saying, okay, now before I knew what I was supposed to pay to pick up my magazines. So now, what do I do? And so the word on the street or the buzz was like, um, you're not getting this 50% off anymore. They're making them feel guilty, you know? I remember the Kingdom Ministry came out with a question at the time, um, should we leave the literature for free? Should we just give it away for free? And the society was very clear, we don't, we don't give away literature for free. We, don't want, we do not want people getting the impression that our literature is free. Mm-hmm. And so, because of, as we all know, because of the tax issue, the Jimmy Swaggett Ministries and so forth, society was literally forced to go to the donation rate. And as a result, they have lost a lot of revenue, just a tremendous amount of revenue. And I remember this one time we were at the Kingdom Hall 
meeting for service. And one of our elders was there. And the watchtower had this big old thing about having a pouch. We want you to have a purse, a pouch, or something, so that when people are out in field service and you take the money for the donation, they did not want you to show the, the householder or the person at the door that you are putting this money in your physical wallet or purse. So they wanted people to say, here's the pouch I'm putting this in. So they got one of the, the circuit overseer got one of the elders in our congregation out in field service one morning. And he was, he was like quizzing to find out if we were ready for that. And he really embarrassed him in front of the whole group. Cause he was like, no brother, where is your pouch? You know? And so he's from the back. He's like, so I think it was, um, wasn't Mike doing, he was doing, he was sitting in the group. Of, I don't know what it was, Mike but was standing in the back. he was sitting in the back and he was asking him about where was his pouch. And we had like 50 people at the kingdom hall for service that morning. And he was like going off on this elder about where's your pouch, brother? Where's your pouch? You know, how are you going to show the householder that, you know, this is a donation. And I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it became such an issue that actually ended up uh, becoming part of uh, either a letter or I think it was in the kingdom ministry about, are we paying double for the literature? And of course, anybody who knows how to count knows that you're actually paying double. But the Watchtower, because of their smooth words, they just brush it aside. And it, it, it's very sad how they play with words. But, yeah, you're paying it double because not only do you pay for it, then you get the household to make a contribution. And you bring their contribution back and you give it all back. So you put a dollar in and the household put a dollar in. And so everybody realized we're paying twice for this literature. But the society wrote this nice little letter, this nice little, I think it was a question, question box. And they just smoothed round over and the witnesses went on back to sleep. I mean, <laughs> gotta love it. So I mean, so I mean, so times have changed yeah. from when we were at the um in the organization. And I remember when I did our video um back down memory lane, and it was so funny because the comments that we received from that video, and I was talking about how the watchtower used to have a subscription, and I remember somebody commenting and saying, um, are they even telling the truth? Are we even telling the truth about whether the watchtower had a subscription mm -hmm. to the watchtower in a way? But you know, there's a lot of people that have become Jehovah's Witnesses mm -hmm. in the last 20 years. And so everything that we're talking about in this video is like a history lesson for people to just understand, you know, to understand where they've come from in, 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 in the realm of how they held their assemblies and stuff. Yeah. Because before, before our time, they had nine-day conventions. Yeah. You nine know? Nine-day nine day conventions. So glad I wasn't there. And can you imagine... A nine-day convention. All I remember is we used to have four-day conventions during our time. We was growing as kids, yeah. Four yeah. days. Mm -hmm. Then they cut it down to three days. Three and, a half. and when I thought about how these brothers had a nine-day convention, mm -hmm. I thought about how people were losing their jobs trying to take off for the Thursday and Friday session. Mm -hmm. And for people who worked weekends, they could have lost their job too because everybody don't work Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. So then I thought to myself, man, what happened to the brothers who was trying to go to a nine-day convention? Imagine that. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it just makes you think about how this religion has put people through guilt trips, making them think that if they're not there, they're not spiritual, mm -hmm. Jehovah's going to be with you, yeah. you know, and, and, and just all these crazy things 
just to go to a convention where information has changed. And you and a lot of the information that was taught at those conventions where those people lost their jobs, mm-hmm. you would be considered an apostate today. Yeah, that's for sure. If you believe that stuff. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. People lost their jobs. I mean, um, and some depending on where you live that, um, you have and I mean the stories are just crazy. Um, you would think that since there were conventions in other had other dates or in other areas, that the witness could simply say, Well, I'm not gonna go to our convention, I'll I'll go to another assembly later on. And and for many, that's what they did. But it's interesting that depending on where you live, uh, what the elders are like in your area, uh, they could guilt trip you. The, they, could, they, could, they could literally guilt trip you to death. And so you have elders who would give talks at the meeting uh, when they would read the, 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 the dates. And they'll say, now, brothers, what date are you assigned? This is when Jehovah has assigned you. He's assigned you to attend the convention the first weekend of the month, not the last weekend. Are you working with Jehovah's Witness? And so you have people who be like, well, I might lose my job, brother, but I can go to that. And so they just guilt trip people. I mean, this organization can beat you to death. Uh, <laughs> and so you would have, uh, in some places, like where Lady C worked at, uh, she worked for a company that had literally probably about 20 Jehovah's Witnesses worked there, if not more. And so everybody couldn't get off for the same week. But once again, depending on who the elders were in your hall, they could guilt trip you to death. And so people have to risk their jobs and stuff. And of course, you always heard those stories about, you know, brother came back and then he got a, he lost his job, but he got a better job. You always heard those stories. They never told you the one about the brothers who still unemployed, you know. So That's you know, right. You know, what about the guys who lost their job? And of course, we you know the society didn't help you out, the congregation didn't help you out. So it's it's just one of those things when you look back at the conventions, um, the conventions were indeed big, big money makers. And uh, we did a video on the circuit assembly. And if you haven't had a chance to uh, take a look at it, take a look at the assembly. It deals with how we always have a deficit at the circuit assembly because of the type of money that, that uh, the way it's raised, the way it's, the way it's structured in, 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 the, in the program. And so at the, at the major conventions in the summertime, those are just huge money makers. So it must be very interesting for the society this year. <laughs> so anyway, this has been Lady C. This has been JT. And we want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Critical Thought. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.